Bring greetings. Um, it's always a joy to come here and see all of you all again, the friendly faces and familiar faces. We have been on furlough for a year. Um, we have had a good year. We left Guinea, West Africa last year, very tired. Um, we felt drained to a certain degree. We were sort of depressed and, and heavy-hearted and stuff. And we came home and we have honestly been refreshed as we passed through the U.S. and went down to Trinidad and we had a beautiful time in the Caribbean, um, being at home with family, friends. And as we went around to many churches and, and meet many individuals that we haven't seen for a while, people would ask us, you know, so how things are going and, and we would share how we are going. And, and then the talk will come up, you know, that we have been in Guinea, West Africa now for 18 years. And the response will, will be, wow, you guys must really enjoy Guinea, West Africa. And then the other question that normally follows from, um, from that is, um, what, do you all enjoy, what do you all enjoy about being there? And, you know, that, that question used to stumble me for a, a little bit. And as I think it through, what do I really enjoy about being in Guinea, West Africa? You know, it's a nice, beautiful country. Yes, I have some friends there, but I would much more prefer, actually, being in Trinidad. I mean, it's when we think of the, the place that is very underdeveloped, almost every week we would have a government uprising. We have to live with our bags packed to leave the country. That is very joyous. You know, as we live in the, in the jungles, there are no modern conveniences, all the nice foods that we miss back home. Yes, those things can be joyous. What do I really enjoy about being in Guinea, West Africa, that will cause me to be there for 18 years? You know, as I think through, think through that, the question is not Guinea, West Africa. But in Psalms chapter 16, verse 11, it says, At the right hand of God, there are pleasures forevermore. You know, and... And for me, the thing is, is being in the presence of the Lord. Where the Lord is, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there, there are pleasures forevermore. And so for us, we feel as a family, we are privileged to be in Guinea, West Africa, not because of the country, not because it's a nice touristic place to be, but because there is where God wants us to be, and there is where God would have us to work. And wherever we are, where God is, there is fullness of joy. And so as we muse upon why we enjoy Guinea, West Africa, it's not because of the environment. It's because we are working in companionship with the God of the universe. And so joy and satisfaction in life doesn't come from whether I am in Trinidad or whether I'm in the U.S. or where I am physically in, in, in this universe. But it's where I am, if I am, where God wants me to be. In Psalms chapter 16 again, in verse 7, David speaking, he says, I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. You know, I, we feel privileged that the, that the Lord is the one who has led us to Guinea, West Africa. He is the one who is, um, who is guiding and as we look back over the years that we have been there, honestly, you know, when I left Trinidad the first time and we came to the U.S. and we were trained, we were trained by Neutralized Mission and I'm going to Guinea, West Africa, my mentality was I'm going to do a work for the Lord. I am going to do something for the Lord. 
And when we got into Ojage and you cannot speak the language, you don't know the culture and everything, you realize, boy, I can't do anything. All my training and everything went out of the window. God wants to do something through me. You know, and as he leads and as he guides, he says, even, at the, even at, in the night, he instructs my heart. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad, and I will rejoice. My body rests in safety. I know the Lord is always with me. And that is the comfort we have as we serve in Guinea, West Africa. That I am where God wants me to, um, to be. I am where God wants me to be. He is with me. He is with me. What I am doing, he is involved. I am a co-worker with him. And it's because of that, I will not be shaken. There have been many things. It doesn't matter what we do. There are things that come in our lives, whether we are Christians, whether we are unbelievers. Hardships of life face us all. You know what the difference is? The child of God who's in a relationship, who knows that God is with him, will not be shaken. We have had many experiences that, that could really shake our faith, and at many times we felt like we, 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 were, we would be destroyed. You know, but the Lord has encouraged us in, in it all. I know one of the experiences we had during this, um, this last four years, as we went back and we were working and we have the small group of, of, of believers there, and persecution is taking place. Persecution. The believers, some of them, they, they, when they walk through the village, everyone is looking at them funny. They go to buy something. They will be told, we do not have any. If you want, go ask your missionary. You're, you're no longer part of our community. And in our compound, we would have the kids from the village. They'll be coming up every day in the evenings, and they'll be playing with our kids. And we enjoy this. Then at one, one particular point in time, one of the ladies of the village, she came to us and she said, my daughter is having a child, has, has had, a, had a baby, and it's a girl. And we would like to name that baby after your wife, Heather. That was a big honor. But in their culture, Muslims are supposed to have Muslim names. And there's a big procedure that they go through for this name. Eight days after the baby is born, no one knows the day and the baby's name. On the eighth day, the whole community comes together and they'll bring the baby out. They would shave the baby's head and the mother will be sitting there with the baby and everyone will come and will bring their different gifts and so forth. And then at one particular point in time, the head imam, the head religious leader, he will get up. And he would look in the book and find out what day the baby was born and find a good Muslim name to name the baby and find out which ancestor of this girl, this child, has that same name. And so this baby would be named after one of their ancestors. And so this lady came and said she wants to name the baby after Heather. And we said, are you sure? Are you sure? Yes, we really like Heather. All the ladies in the village, they love Heather. So that we accepted, and the day came, and everyone was gathered. Everyone is there, and we are sitting, and there's the baby with the mother. The imams came, and now it's time to announce the name of the baby, and they, they're going through the normal procedure to, to give the baby the name. And the grandmother said, no, you don't have to do that, because we have already chosen a name for, um, for the baby. And the imam says, what's the name? Heather. Well, there was silence, and the imam and the grandmother was going back and forth, and the imam is saying, no, you cannot name 
a Muslim after a Christian. That is unheard of. We cannot give this baby the name of Heather. And the grandmother is saying, this is my grandchild. She's a very powerful lady in the village, very industrious, has her own business, and, and so she has some, some clout. And she says, no, this is my grandchild, and I'm going to name this my grandchild, whatever name I choose. And this baby's name is going to be Heather. And so the imam reluctantly announced, Kawachikumi talking or Hada. We call the baby Heather. Well, when that was done, a lot of people love Heather in the village, and so they, they got up and they was dancing, they were happy, and they were throwing money and giving money to the baby. That, finally, even if Heather was to go back to her home country of Trinidad, there's a little Heather running around in the village. So everyone was happy. There was rejoicing that there is a baby Heather in the village. But the imams, they weren't happy. And that created another wave of persecution for our, um, for our believers and for us. You see, before that, in public meetings, when we go to public meetings, they would always speak nicely of us. Even though they're against us, those few imams, they would speak nicely of us in our presence. But from that day on, even in public meetings, they began to publicly insult us. And they began to tell the, the, the congregation in meetings, don't even let your children come up to our properties um, um, to, um, to play. And so the, the kids be, be, began to, to stay away from the, the property. And this was a time when we were being shaken. The, the, the re, our relationships in the village became very tense. And there everybody knows each other. There's lots of relationship visiting and all of this, and people would stop visiting us. And we were going through a really difficult time emotionally at that time. But, you know, we wanted to be shaken. We felt like we were being shaken. But in the midst of it all, we knew that the Lord was with us. And while all of this is going on, the God, who is all-powerful, who, this is his work, he is building his church. He was at work across the border in the country of Guinea-Bissau. You see, the Tandas are in Guinea, and they are also in Guinea-Bissau. And in this village in Guinea-Bissau, one of the chiefs there, he's my friend. And he wrote a letter requesting that I take one of his sons to raise. Well, we didn't know all of this, how this is going to be involved. So we sat down as a church and we discussed it with a few believers. And they said, Ron, let us go for this. This is what we are praying for. This is a chance for us to be able to, to pass the gospel on to the next generation. And so we went across the Guinea-Bissau. We took our bicycles. We rode three, day, three days through the jungles. Very nice trip. Saw chimpanzees, saw monkeys, crossed rivers and canoes. was really excited. And we got to the village. And we met with the chief. And we began to discuss it. And he says, and he explained what he wants. He says, listen, I'm a Muslim. But I do not want my son to grow up to be a Muslim. Can you take my son and teach him how to be a Christian? This, this is in, in the same time he is saying this, the imams across in Guinea, they are telling the people, do not let your kids come and play with our kids. So we accepted. We, I said, well, okay, we would do that. And when, as soon as I accepted, he says, well, honestly, it's not me alone. Um, my sister has two kids, and my older brother has two kids. Actually, we have six that we would like to give you. So we accepted the six boys that we were taking, and we are not adopting them. They know who their parents are. They have not recognized me as a rabbi. As they would say in, 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 their, in Tanda, a karamoko, a religious teacher. 
that they would now entrust to me their kids to be my disciples. And so we came back to Guinea, and I said, okay, I'm getting six boys. We are getting six boys to disciple, and they are from the country of Guinea-Bissau. Let us also allow the people from right around us in the villages around us. Let's see what will happen. And so I went to the chief and I says, we are accepting boys to disciple anyone who is interested in, in becoming Christians. We would take your, um, your sons. Um, we would feed them. We would send them to school. But we would also teach them God's word. And for us to accept your son, you as a parent have to accept that if your son trusts in Jesus Christ, you would not be opposed. And if you are willing to do that, we would accept your sons. And so the word began to go out. And one by one, people will come to us. And it always seems to be on a Friday. Friday is the main mosque day, where they all come to our village for mosque, and for the Islamic prayer. And during that time, the imams will be saying again, do not let your kids go and play with the missionary kids. They have a religion of Satan, and they will go on and on. And right after the, the, the Islamic service, people will come up to our house. And says, Ron, are you still taking boys? I have my sons. And we had imams. We had chiefs. We end up having to, to put a limit. How many should we, and we take? And we decided, the, the believers decided, since Jesus had 12 disciples, let us start with 12. And so we put a limit and we accepted 12 boys. And I remember when we started as 12 boys, Tanda boys now on our property, we, I end up having more disciples than the head Islamic leader of our village. And I says, Lord, you are God who does all things wonderful. Here we are all depressed. And in the midst of this and in the midst of the imams putting pressure on us, God was at work. And God was bringing these boys to our property. And because of that, they became like a magnet. Twelve Thunder boys, we brought, bought them a soccer ball, soccer ball, and they're playing soccer every evening, and all the, all, the, all the other boys from the village would be congregating on our property every evening. They're playing soccer. On Sunday, when we have in church, all those boys are in church, and they're singing all the Christian songs. They're learning all these songs. All their village friends would come. They can't come to church, but they would stay at, at, at the boys' hut, and they're hearing all the songs. And they're learning all the songs. And these same boys, they're going back into the village and they're singing all the Christian songs. And we're walking through the village and we're hearing all the Christian songs singing. It's like, Lord, you are wonderful. You're wonderful. And through this, we had these boys that we were sharing the gospel with. They are, they are, they, they are part of the church. They are part of the church. You know, and as this is going on, I'm wondering, I'm saying, Lord, in the midst of all of this, when these imams are so much against us, here you are doing such a wonderful work. Well, it didn't stop there. You know the verse that says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. It's, it's to be doing something and to know the whole area is against you. Someone, an imam comes and greets you, and he's smiling. But you know behind that smile, he hates you. And you have to smile back with him. You, you, those, those types of things, you know people who are, who are conniving and planning against you. Well, these guys, they were planning, they were conniving, and to some of the stuff that they were planning, we didn't have a clue. And here we are, have the boys in school, they're starting school in the morning until 12, they have lunch, they go back and they have tandem school in the evening, then we teach them some carpentry, some plumbing, some electrical, we're teaching them those things, and then in the night, 
we have Bible studies with them. And the boys are excited to be with us. They are ranging from the ages of 10 to 21. One day, out of the blue, this guy comes up on the motorcycle and he wants to talk to me. He is a, he's the director of education for our area. And he comes in and he, he visits and he's talking. And he says, I heard you have some boys that you are teaching. I says, yes. And I naively, I took him up to our compound. I showed him where the boys are having school and everything. And he began to ask me, what is our program? And I explained to him our program. And then he says, you know what? Can you, can you do something like this and invite the whole community? Can you have a whole school doing this? And I says, but now this is a government official. And I says, well, um, all these boys that we have, they, their parents have to give. This is, we have a specific goal of teaching these boys Christianity. And he says, well, that's not a problem. You just have each parent sign a note agreeing to this. And if they do not want this, they send their boys to, um, to another area. He says, but you need to be careful. The reason why I'm here is that the imams of the area formed a delegation and they came into the city and saw the governor. And they were spreading lies about you. They went to the governor and told the governor all these lies and asked the governor to go in and to stop what you are doing out here. And the governor called the director of education, which is my superior, and asked him about it to send people in to, to close down our school. But the director says, he knows Ron. I met with the director before, and he says, since I know, know Ron, let me send someone in to investigate what is going on. And he says, since I came out here and I see what you're doing here, okay, I am given my authorization that you guys continue doing what you're doing. And I'm going to take my report back to my superior and back to the governor. And I, he left, and I was like, we didn't even have any authorization to do what we were doing. But because people were against us, and they went to the governor and complained about us, now we have official authorization from the governor of Boki and from the director of education of Boki to continue with the schooling of our boys. And they said, anytime you're ready to have a full school, okay, doing the same thing, you already have permission to do it. And so I say, thank you, Lord, for these imams who are against us. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. Those who plan evil against us, the Lord, the creator, who is the mighty God of this universe, has the power to change all the evil plans to our benefit. You know, and we thank God to be there. We've, that's why we say we enjoy being in Guinea. Not because of the physical location in which we are. Sometimes when we're there, I really miss home and I feel like leaving. But when we know that we are where God wants us to be, that we are watching the master at work, we are, we are in a relationship with the God of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he's allowing us the wonderful privilege to be co-workers with him. We feel privileged to be where we are. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. I have no regrets. I'm a chemist as I went back home. You know, sometimes you say, boy, maybe I should have remained and, and my job as a chemist in Trinidad. And, but there are no regrets. 
Because seeing God at work and seeing what God is doing in, in Guinea and being there to, to witness that is one of the greatest joys. We have seen these boys. We have had them for like three years now. It hasn't been easy. Sometimes we wonder what in the world did we get ourselves into. We send our two boys and girls off to school, and my, my wife and I are now there. You know, we can enjoy each other. We can have some times of relaxation and stuff. And here we have 12 boys constantly in camp. They do not live in our house. They live about 100 feet away from our house. And we have one of the believers, Sanasi, he lives with them. And another believer and his wife, Yira and Mari, cooks all their food. We are responsible for buying the food and stuff. But it's a constant. Day and night, you would hear, nah, which means mother, or papa, this one he hit me, this one stole this, and these little battles that are going on. So it's a constant discipline. You sit down to relax, and they're right there. And sometimes you say, boy, what did we get ourselves into? Are, are we being foolish here, Heather? And sometimes we really felt like we made a big mistake. And then when we, we, we look at the task ahead of us, they, are, they have a totally different culture than our kids. Lying to them is the greatest achievement to be able to fool somebody. The, the greatest achievement of a tender person is to be a good trickster. Right? So they, have, they, they, they are groomed with that. And so to tell a lie and to fool you, it's, it, they, when they do that, they have accomplished something great. And so we have to be changing those things in their lives. And how could we do that? How could we tra train those, those, these children in biblical principles? But you know, God's word is powerful. God's word is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And as we see God's word, the entrance of God's word, into these young boys' lives, we began to see transformation taking place. The oldest boy, his name is Alia. And Alia, we had a little hard time with Alia at the start. He's 21. And the parents told them, the same discipline you give to your kids, we give you total permission to give them the same discipline. So we started to discipline them like our kids, and we told them. And we began to see changes taking place in these boys' lives. What a, what a joy it was to see Alia taking charge, and now he's, he's with the boys, and he is kind of overseeing the younger ones. You'd, you'd pass by their, their hut in the evening, and you'd hear them singing the choruses, and they're, they're now being literate so they can read the word of God that we are translating, and you see them having little devotions and, and stuff. It's wonderful. Amidst all the, all the different things that are going on, it is wonderful to see that. You know, one of the boys that started hanging around, our boys, I says, we have a lot, of, a lot of kids now on our property. One of the boys, his name was Dauda. Dauda is around 22 years old. And Dauda started to come around. He's from another village. His father, we knew his father, and his father was a thief. And we knew his younger brother, and his younger brother was a thief, and we knew that personally because he broke into our house and stole some stuff um, um, from us. So we had some personal con um, information and relation with this with this boy, which was not very good. And so Dauda, the younger brother, leaves, runs up, run away from their village, and he's now in our village of Ojagi. He smokes. He's not a really good character. And he began hanging around our boys. And you would see Dauda comes up. He plays soccer very well. And so him and Alia became very good friends, and they're playing soccer together in the evenings. And then after, he would stick around. When all the other kids go back to the village, Dauda would stay by. 
And Heather and I, we are looking at this, and it's like, I do not want Dowda hanging around those boys. We are trying to change these boys. Having Dowda around here will corrupt them. He smokes, and he's a thief. He's a son of a thief, you know. And so the temptation was there to go and tell Sanasi, the head of the boys, to re can you make sure that Dowda doesn't stick around? Or we're not going to stop him from coming up, but do not have him hanging around so much. But praise the Lord, I didn't do that. Dowda just kept hanging around. And it's now not only in the evenings I'm seeing him, early in the morning. He's there. That means he's sleeping now on our compound. He's sleeping there. He's eating there. He's actually living there. Then eventually, Dowda is not smoking anymore. You see him. He's very polite. And then he begins coming in church. We'd have church. And then while church is going in, you'd see Dowda. He slips in and he sits at the back. One Sunday we have in church and we're going on and Dowda slips in and he sits at the back. And Alpha, the song leader, he's there worshiping. Worship leader, he stops the worship service. And you may not be able to do that in Garden Chapel. But he stops the worship service and he says, Dowda, come. And he brings Dowda up to the front, takes a chair and put him to sit down in the middle of everyone. And he says, Dowda, what are you doing here? Are you a spy? Every one of us here in this room today are Christians. What are you doing there? Here? Did the imam send you here to spy out on us? Is someone paying you to come here? Why are you here this morning? And Dauda raises his hand and he says, No, no one sent me. I am not a spy. I want to trust in Jesus. And I, when I heard Dauda saying that, it's like the Lord spanked me. It's like, here I am, wanting to chase this boy away. And in this time that he's relating with Alia, you know what Alia is doing? Alia, his friend, is sharing the gospel with Dauda. And Dauda became a child of God. They are still very good friends. A year ago, we, we wanted to have our baptism. And Alia came up to me and he says, Papa, call me father. Papa, I really want to get baptized this time. And Dauda came as well. Papa, I want to get baptized too. Well, I saw... Told to Alia, I says, Alia, um, I cannot just baptize you. you your, your father gave you to me. And for me to baptize you, I, I need to get permission from your father. Alia's father is an imam. So we definitely cannot just baptize Alia without informing his father. So we got on our, I got in my vehicle and decides to go to Alia's father's village. Alia's father is about two hours drive away from our village. So we went to Alia's father's village. And as we arrived, we greet him. He was very happy to see us. And we all sat down together. And I says, um, I'm very, I want to thank you, first of all, for letting me be responsible for raising your son, Alia. And Alia has trusted in Christ. He's a Christian now. And part of our Christian ceremonies is baptism, water baptism. As a witness to show everyone that he's really trusting in Christ, Alia would like to get baptized. And the father, the imam says, wait a minute. And he called his brother. He called his uncle. They live in compounds. So he called everyone. And now this, it was no longer a, a talk between myself and, and Alias that. It's the whole, all his wives are there, all the kids and everyone. He says, listen, I have seen the change that has taken place in Alia. I know my son Alia. And before, how he is now and how he was when he was here is not the same. You see all these boys here? And he had quite a bit. He says, all of them are my sons. If they can become like Alia, can you please take all of them? Okay. 
He says, I have seen the change that has taken place in my son. And Ron, you don't thank me. I want to thank you. Just tell me the day that Alia is going to get baptized, and I want to come to see for myself that it's really true. So we left that day, and I was saying, still, he was just being polite. I wasn't expecting an imam to come to church. No, they can say what they want to say, but when the rubber meets the road, he's not for an imam to set his foot into the compound of a Christian. They would say, a stuffafulai. That means God forbid. God, to even, to even some, the real good imams, even to shake my hand. And here, Alias dad said he's going to come to witness the baptism. Well, I didn't have too much belief. So the day of the baptism got in the way, and here comes Alias dad. Alias dad comes, and he sits in church. Sits through the whole service. And now we're getting up to go down to the river for the, for, um, for the baptism. And he comes to me, he says, Ron, please forgive me, but I cannot come down to the river. Because that would entitle, that would mean I'd have to walk through the village with you guys. And all the other imams would see me walking with you guys, and I cannot go that far. But I want you to know that my heart is with you guys. And he released us. We went down to the river, and earlier his son was baptized. And we came back up, and Alias dad again, he called me with some of the other believers, and with tears in his eyes, he says, Ron, I just want to thank you for what you are doing with my son, Alia. He says, if ever, if ever, Alia decides to leave Christianity, to leave you guys, to come back into Islam, I am giving you permission. Get a big stick and beat him. Beat him. Don't let him come back with tears in his eyes. And I say, Lord, I thank you for allowing me to see you at work. In your presence, doing what you want me to do is fullness of joy. Before you created me, for each one of us here this morning, before God created us, before you formed us in, in our mother's womb, he had a plan for us. He had a plan to use us specifically. And the only way we can have fullness of joy is when we are in his presence, when we are doing what he wants us to do. Then we can see him at work. And I really believe that God has so much pleasure in that. Just showing us himself, showing us his glory. We thank God for what God is doing. We thank God for what God has done in our lives. And honestly... We tell everyone we cannot take any praise. Because as I said, when we, when we arrived and realized the, the enormity of this task that's ahead of us, it was scary. It was scary. We are going to fail. We're going to spend our lives here and no one is going to get saved. And, and Satan is putting all these things in your, I'm in your head. And we went there, I went there with the attitude, I've been trained. I'm going to do something for God. God doesn't want me to do anything for him. God just wants me to be a, a, available. He doesn't need my ability. He doesn't need anything of me. I mean, they say he used a donkey to speak to Balaam. He doesn't need me. Right? And I, but I use that. I says, God, if you can teach a donkey to speak Hebrew, you can surely teach me to speak Tanda. 
And he did. He gave me the language. God wants us to be available, and he wants us to be, each one of us, to be where he is. And then we'll be able to say like David in verse 8, or in verse 7, I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. And as we go back to Guinea, West Africa, we know there's lots of stuff ahead of us. We don't know what we're going to face. And sometimes when we think of the task that is still ahead of us, we are, just, we are there by ourselves. We don't have any co-workers. We are discipling these 12 boys. We have the church. We have the Bible translation. We have all these things that we are doing. Lord, can I alone do that? No, but the confidence in which we are going back in is I know the Lord is always with me. I'm not thinking, I'm not imagining. I know that he is with me. I will not be shaken. Things will come that will shake me. Things will come that of discouragement. I will not be forsaken. For he is right beside me. And then David, I guess David said that and then he, he thought about it a while and he says, No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. And my body rests in safety. I thank the Lord and I want to thank Garden Chapel again for the partnership that we have in what is going on in Ujagi. And as we go back, I would like to continue to, to, to crave your, your prayers. Above all, pray for us. God is indeed doing a, a, a good job, a good work in Ujagi, but not in Ujagi alone. He wants to do it in each one of our lives. Wherever we are, let us be where God wants us to be so that he would be beside us always and that he would be showing himself strong. Amen.